cool. So yeah, it looks like some more people are slowly joining us. Um, we are going to be talking about training metrics today, um, which is, I don't know if it's my favorite topic, probably not, because we're never really emphasizing yeah. the numbers too much, but I think it's a really important topic to address um, what metrics we are emphasizing, what we're not, um, maybe how to, to not get too hung up on the numbers side of things, um, and to use the numbers constructively. Uh, that way they can help to provide you some context in your training and your coaches as well. Um, yeah, and uh, again, I feel like everybody has a different interpretation of kind of the metrics that really matter to running. Um, but for us, there are a few staples um, that we ask every athlete to put in the training log. Um, and there's reason for that. So we would love to kind of uh, expand on that a little bit with you guys today, give you some more context. If anything comes into mind for you guys or any questions uh, come up during this call, just feel free to put it in the chat box. And um, if it's something that you'd like to, to, to speak on, uh, always happy to give uh, an athlete kind of the space to do that. But if you wanna just write a question as well, um, yeah, we'll do our best to, to answer that. Yeah, I think, you know, the overall message we're trying to send, don't get too attached to the data. It's often not as objective as we'd like to think. Numbers can be really flawed, but how you feel is usually, you know, at the end of the day, that's the most important thing to pay attention to. And if ever the numbers start to become more a tool of self-judgment than a way for you to gauge progress and just like relate to your training in new and exciting positive ways, um, like that's the goal, right? Is to use numbers as a driving force forward and never as something that you use to hold yourself back. Yeah. I think and they don't tell the whole story. Like your numbers are not your destiny, right? Because if they were, instead of racing, we would all just like submit our training logs to like, <laughs> I guess a benevolent deity who would like judge us on how hard we train or like you would take a VO2 max test and then Killian would win every year or whatever. So like the reason that we race is because we know or like the reason that we compete and do FKTs and like take on big adventures and chase big goals is because we know at the end of the day, it's not about just crunching numbers into an algorithm that spits out a specific outcome. It's about, you know, dealing with those gray areas and playing with the nuances and training and figuring out what the best training is for you rather than like pretending that, you know, input for one person is going to be the same output for another person. Mm -hmm. And I like the emphasis on um, thinking about what the best training is for the individual, because at the end of the day, there's many ways to the same place. Uh, and it's the responsibility of the coach to kind of over time, I, ideally, you know, we mentioned this a lot, but like even one year isn't very much time to get to know somebody in a training context. So in order to identify the patterns to, um, you know, for the, for the numbers to change and all of these things. Uh, so yeah, it, it's just super important to, to try to use the tools that we have to recognize patterns, to continue to develop individualized plans that work for people over time um, and to be adaptable as yeah. well. Um, because what works one season to the next uh, isn't always the case, right? Like there's not just like one way to do it. 
yeah. And then your training evolves over years and years. Like the way I'm training now is not the way I was training three years ago. And it won't be the way that I'm training three years from now. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I can, that just brings so much to mind for me and my, uh, you know, the last three or four years of training for me, I've had just so many different periods of, of training where I've been, um, running only on trail or running only on road or doing only workouts on hills or doing only workouts on fast terrain and, or doing a mix of both. Um, and it always depends on, um, goals, physical health, uh, mental health, um, you know, anything like that. And I think that, uh, being adaptable is just, is really important for both coach and athlete. <laughs> Yeah, what for International that? Women's Day, I'm wearing my vintage t-shirt that is a replica of the ones that funded the first ever mountaineering expedition up Annapurna, which was first ever summited by an all-women's mountaineering team. Girl, Wait, I gave you that shirt. Technical piece in the world. And because like in the 70s, women couldn't get sponsorships for intense mountaineering expeditions, like the best female mountaineers in the world had to fund their expedition by selling t-shirts to friends and family. Um, and I have a replica of that because women are Color. Yeah. <laughs> and we belong in the mountains. That's as so does cool. everyone. All right. Let's talk about the training log. Let's start with that. Um, what are the basic metrics that, that you follow that you ask your athlete to put into the training log, Zoe? Yeah. What I'm typically looking for is average pace, elapsed time vert if it's significant and i think that people can define significant in different ways but like mm -hmm. i would say anything under 500 feet isn't really significant unless it was like a very unless if, if it doesn't feel vertiginous then it's probably not vertiginous but if it feels vertiginous then like sure include your vertical data um i think it's more important like if you do an eight mile run and you you know, like <laughs> I used to coach an athlete in Louisiana who'd always be like seven miles, 17 feet of gain. Like that is not an incredibly impactful metric because it is unlikely that over the course of eight miles, 17 feet of gain um, impacted your run in a meaningful way. I like to joke that there's like probably 17 feet of gain between me and the refrigerator at any given moment, because that's what Colorado feels like. Um, so think about like stuff becomes important when it impacts the nature of the run, um, you know, and that's, that's the way I would conceptualize of it. And that could be different for other people. For instance, 300 feet of gain in the context of a one mile run is different than in the context of a 10 mile run. So, um, vert is more important when it changes your run. For instance, if it makes you power hike, if it meaningfully makes you slow down, um, things like that, when it actually changes, like the volume, like, how your body would feel the volume of the run is. Yeah, I think with vertical gain, um, yeah, I think mm, I think it's important to note your vertical gain. Um, I ask all my athletes to do so um, because say in the context of an eight mile run, you have 400 feet of elevation change. Uh, to me, that would indicate that you're doing a run over hilly, hilly terrain. Um, maybe there's no significant long climbs, um, but to me that would indicate without going into Strava and looking at the exact profile of your run, that would indicate that you're doing some hills, right? There's going to be some up and down 
that might change kind of the flow of your run. And ideally, you know, an athlete would mention, you know, like I'm doing this run over like hilly terrain, or there was one, uh, or you did your hill workout and it was a longer hill workout. And that's why there's 400 feet of gain, whatever that might be. Um, I think it's important, uh, especially for athletes who are running trail to mix in just a little bit of vert. You don't need to have entirely flat runs for your workouts or uh, entirely flat runs for your recovery runs, but mixing in some hills, that kind of uh, variation, I think is, is kind of important. Um, so I like to see that indication, you know, if it's an eight mile run and there's a thousand feet of gain, um, that's obviously gonna add to a lot more time on feet. Um, so it is important to note that if you're going on a trail run, don't come back and put in into your training log that you ran eight miles on trail. Uh, that's not very helpful. What would be helpful for me and for the other coaches would be to see, you know, your average pace per mile, uh, your elapsed time, most your moving time as well, because especially for training runs and runs on the weekends, how long you're out there versus how long you're actually moving. Um, sometimes can be quite significant, especially if you're standing around taking photos, you're having lunch, all of these things that are like pretty fun and great, um, but change the, uh, the training stress yeah. dramatically. Um, so it is really important to note those kind of things. Um, I would say specifically for, you know, athletes who are maybe concerned about uh, cutoff times and things like that in their longer races. If you're going out and doing your training runs and not practicing, continuing to move the entire time, you're going to be under a lot more new pressure on race day um, as a result of not being able to stand around and take pictures. Um, yeah. So again, average pace per mile, elapsed time, uh, moving time, vertical gain, and then mileage. I think the mileage, the distance that you're covering is also really important, plays an important role in your average pace per mile, obviously how far you're going given the terrain um, and the, the type of uh, run that you're on, whether you're on trail or road or dirt road or smooth terrain or rough terrain. Um, if you're given your volume in time versus miles, um, either way, having that mileage kind of indication there is really important. Um, and to kind of take this one step further, like why is this stuff important? Like why we spend a lot of time telling you guys, don't worry so much about the numbers, but we do ask you to include some numbers and, and there's a reason for that. To establish a baseline. Exactly. You know, we don't want to become like so attached to it and like, you know, you don't want people who have only been training for like 50 days to be like, why haven't I gotten faster? Because the answer is because you've only been training for 50 days and it takes, a lot longer to uh, see big gains. Um, but we do want to be able to establish a baseline. And it's kind of, and I know we've talked about this previously, but looking at your progress is not going to be as linear as you might want it to be until you zoom out. And then you look at like eight years and you're like, oh yeah, that makes a bit more sense. Um, but it's going to look a lot more like a scatter plot. Um, in fact, if you see, if your pace is steadily increasing or you're repeatedly getting PRs over and over and over again, to me, that would indicate that you're likely pushing a little bit too hard. Um, sometimes it is very good to un to intentionally un-PR things. Like that is excellent aerobic base building. Mm -hmm. That's excellent mm -hmm. economic development. Um, some days are just going to be outliers and we never want to fixate on those outliers either way, right? 
like your fitness is you on your best day, not your crappiest day. Um, so we don't want to get bogged down if we have a day that doesn't feel good or like, you know, your easy pace is just like a minute slower than normal because life is hard and you ate a Philly cheesesteak for lunch and that's still happening. Um, and we don't want to judge ourselves for that. We want to just like let the run happen and just assume that by actually letting the run be what it is, we'll actually progress further in the long term. Yeah. Um, wow. I think, you know, the average pace per mile thing for me uh, as a coach, especially when I've established kind of the zones my athletes are training in, their routines, in their habits, you know, they're doing their workouts on this specific terrain. And so it's very easy to see where there's progress, maybe where there's some fatigue building if that pace drops, especially if I'm going a few steps deeper and looking at individual uh, intervals and the output levels on each. Um, but it's, it's hard to do anything with the numbers when an athlete is brand new. Mm -hmm. Right. So you're taking it's hard six to sort months. the signal from the noise. You're, right. You're taking it six months to establish just a basic understanding of maybe where the athlete is, yeah. right? Like where, you know, their average pace per mile actually is in relation to some of those like faster, steadier days or some of those more like recovery forever effort days. Um, and then from there, it's really great to have this kind of data because you can start to judge how an athlete is improving over time, whether that average pace per mile on their Tuesday easy run around town is, you know, slowly increasing. Um, and then in their reflection, they're, they're writing about uh, how it feels easy and effortless rather than that felt like a steady effort. Yeah. Um, and just trying to match some of the numbers with what the athlete is saying. Um, because again, like we don't want to, we're not using heart rate monitors and we've had a, a call about this before. Um, but when we use our internal monitoring system to guide us, our brains, how we feel, our bodies, our sensory systems, uh, we have a much stronger understanding of our effort levels over time. And we're actually able to run faster in the long run uh, without as many hangups. Um, but I don't want to go too much down that rabbit hole, but I, I really like having this general data, um, especially six months and, and, and afterwards um, for my athletes. So I can start to see patterns and maybe anticipate a little bit of growth, see how uh, economy is developing and any kind of the, the neuromuscular side of things or biomechanically um, we're just getting more efficient. So it becomes easier to run. So the output levels, they drop a little bit. Um, I have a question for yeah. you. I know both of us coach some athletes by, in, by understanding volume in terms of time and some by mileage. I would love to hear how you, uh, what that breakdown looks like for you and when maybe it's more appropriate to conceptualize a volume in terms of time and when it's more appropriate in terms of mileage. Yeah, that's such a good question. I think both are totally appropriate. Um, gosh, sometimes when an athlete is really training for a super long race, um, it can be more appropriate to train yeah. with with the amount of time on feet, right? Because uh, and it depends on the athlete's level as well. I think for more advanced athletes, I'm much more confident with my coaching when I can prescribe the mileage, the volume with mileage. 
uh, for athletes who are maybe more intermediate or beginner and just getting into ultras, it's important to understand how long it takes an athlete to complete a given run. Um, and in those cases, sometimes when they're building towards a longer race, it's, it's vital that the coach prescribes in time because an eight hour Saturday run is massive stress concentration as opposed to, you know, in, in the context of maybe 16 mountainous miles or 20 mountainous miles. And, and like for an athlete like myself or other, or other athletes that we coach that are really strong, uh, 20 miles is a three hour run. And so that is a really big difference. Um, so yes, I think both ways to prescribe volume are great. I obviously, I really like to prescribe in mileage um, because I think sometimes athletes get a lot more confidence by completing a certain mileage goal, especially when it comes to running an ultra or maybe even preparing for a marathon. Uh, they get that confidence boost by like hitting that 20 miler, even if it, uh, even if it takes a long time. Um, but yeah, as Drew writes in here, like no two athletes are the same, right? So like what works for one athlete might not work for another. So I've actually had plenty of athletes that I've started on time-based training and switched them to mileage. I've gone the other way. I do a combination for a lot of people. Like I'll do, you know, maybe they'll have a six mile Tuesday run and then their Wednesday workout will be entirely prescribed by time. Yeah. And I think that I because really I think like it helps, that flexibility. I feel like time helps people hone into effort more because they're like, I know exactly how long I'm going to be out here. And I just need to figure out how hard this needs to feel. I think sometimes if you tell people to just go run six or eight miles, they'll feel pressure and then might inadvertently run a little faster. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely something that we, we see, right. And we talk about that all the time, you know, the people who are pressed for time squeezing to, and then they have to squeeze a run into a narrow window. And to do that, they run, they run harder and that kind of skews some of the metrics, especially if but they just skew the metric. It yeah. undermines the whole intent of it's worse than having done no run at all in some cases. Right. And and I'm just trying to keep this yeah. metric related. Right, right, but like, right. I see that sometimes athletes, you know, they won't mention until like three days later, like, oh man, that Tuesday run where I really was pressed for time. I probably ran that too hard, even though I didn't mention it. It's like, oh, okay. Well, it, you know, there's more impact forces associated to running faster. So, you know, that can contribute to why you feel sore and more fatigued today. Um, yeah, Coach Drew, I would love to kind of get the marathon running perspective there on is, the basic metrics. Yeah, some more emphasis on hard data, particularly like if you're gunning for, you know, a 320 marathon, at some point you are going to really try to like really precisely hit specific metrics. I would love to know how this works in your experience. Yeah, no, it's a great question. Um, it's in my experience, even more important that you kind of lean on the data and the metrics of runs as you progress through your training program. Um, the idea with a marathon specifically is you probably have a time related goal um, not like a distance related goal, like in like a six hour race or something like that, but you are, you are very fine tuned into how fast you need to be running. And so over the course of your training program, um, kind of starting to play around with some of that desired race pace stuff and all that is, is obviously super important. Um, it just, I mean, I, I can't emphasize enough, just like the metrics and the data. I know that in the training logs, there's only like a 
just those few things that y'all plug in with like distance, pace, time, moving time, like total, all that stuff. Like I, I get it, but it's, it's just so important that you not only keep track of it, but kind of make mental notes on how that kind of uh, feels as well. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. You guys seem like you covered most of it and really training for a marathon isn't all that different than training for like your first 50K or something like that. But uh, you just kind of get more dialed into, into pace, like per second. It's not like, well, I want to qualify for Boston, so I have to run 7.55 to 8.30 pace. It's like, no, 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 no. You want to <laughs> qualify for Boston, you have to run 7.53 pace. Like we, we know what you got to do. So you just kind of really dial it in and, and get very specific. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. What a cool way to train. And I feel like, you know, there's a way, like, I feel like the better you become at running, the more you're less attached to the data. And then the more you can attach to like, I know how this should feel and I'm going to execute that. Like you can really divorce it from the numbers in a way that gets abstract in a way that I think can be more productive. Cause then you're not, you know, just looking at your watch all the time. Like, am I hitting my splits? Am I hitting my splits? You're like, I'm confident. I know this feels right. I look down, splits are good. Yeah. And that makes total sense. I, I don't want it to seem like every single run is definitely like we have to run every second in, in like a pre-planned workout that this is like your, your obviously your speed workout days or maybe some of your long runs, right? Mm-hmm. Most of the time you're definitely relaxed, calm, try not even look at the watch. Just, you know, you've got like an eight mile loop and you know, it's eight miles, go do it. Leave your watch at home for all I care. Um, but definitely like, obviously those more important workouts, you're really, really focused. Yeah. Uh, fun fact, runs still count, even if they're not on Strava. Totally. I just found that out. And you, yeah, you can always put it in later, which is something that I like to do when I, cause I have like my, my routes around Carbondale that I do. And I like never, I never switch it up. Cause then it's like just another mental strain. And so I just do my same routes. I know exactly how far they are. I get my training in and I save the questions for, you know, the weekend runs. Um, and it really helps because you can leave the watch at home any day. And all you do is list like, oh, that took me 55 minutes. Great. What's eight miles in 55 minutes? That's my pace. Okay, coach, here's the info. Felt good today, you know, and, and then you move on. Um, I think, you know, something that I'm doing as a coach, um, especially as my, especially with like newer athletes and then as they continue to progress is I, I peep on Strava uh, to look at output levels for on strides and mm. hills. Um, and then later I will do that on intervals as well for a few reasons. Um, one, I like to, to see kind of where an, an athlete is at with their output levels. You know, like it gives me a lot of information um, and it kind of indicates where there is room for growth. Um, and then, you know, ideally as we do more hill work, more strides an athlete gets faster over time, um, you can also kind of see where there's progress been happening. So like in the beginning of a training block, if we're doing a lot of hill work, uh, it may be, if this is your second or third build, those output levels, they might be a little bit, uh, better on the hill work on, um, because you've done a series of hills before. Um, another reason why I'll, I'll peep on Strava and look at the, the data is to see if an athlete is, is fatigued. Um, so when you're in the middle of the training block, your best runs are usually going to be in the beginning of the block. As you 
build fatigue up as you progress through the training, you will get naturally a little bit slower, a little bit slower. You won't be able to produce as much output for the effort. Um, and so sometimes I can pop on Strava and look at a key workout and just kind of gauge, you know, what an athlete's fatigue level is. You know, some of that is, is guesswork and knowing the athlete and also queuing into their feedback in logs. Um, but it gives me an indication also, you know, workouts tend to repeat themselves um, over seasons. So you can see where an athlete was doing on their one or two minute, you know, fast intervals in year one and what they're doing on year two and be like, wow, look at the difference, you mm -hmm. know, like, and look how they're sustaining the interval too. You know, when I go on Strava. You want and nice look, long tabletops. Yeah. I think, you know, the biggest thing, like I don't look at my athletes specific splits. What I look at is like the format, right? Like looking at their output levels and making sure that there's a big difference between their recovery effort and their top end effort. Um, so like what it should look like as a graph is like a nice, like a tall bar stool. Um, and it should like, it sh you don't want to see peak and then down, like you shouldn't accelerate and then fade. You should accelerate, maintain, decelerate, and it should all be very smooth and controlled. Mm -hmm. um, and then you don't want to see, like, you don't want to see the tabletops get smaller throughout the workout. You want to see them stay as even as possible or increasing, or, like getting or get faster. faster. Yeah, totally. Um, I think it's really important too that you mentioned, like we're, we're working on, when we're doing workouts, we're really working on holding specific effort levels, right? We're getting more comfortable going faster. We are queuing into, you know, specific biomechanical adjustments that the body's making when you go faster. We're building specific energy systems that make up the aerobic system. Um, and so holding an effort level for one or two or three or four or five minutes or six or 10 or 20, holding that effort level is what helps to build your fitness. Um, so it's a common mistake runners will make is they're pushing to, they're looking at the watch, they're pushing to get the max output level out on their 30 second stride or their one or two minute interval. So they'll cruise for 20 seconds. They'll steadily push for another 20 seconds and then they will completely fall off and they won't make it to the end yeah. of that one minute. Or they'll accelerate to 20 seconds. And then all of a sudden by the end of one minute, they're above VO2 max going, you know, below mile effort. And then they're exhausted on the recovery, walking the recovery. Um, so those are all little pitfalls that over time, you know, you want to work to avoid, right? You want even output levels. Um, you know, when I first started really doing focused uh, work, I associated effort strongly with pace on my watch. And that gave me an indication of how fast I could go and what I could sustain. Um, and I think that those are kind of training wheels. Uh, when you're first getting into it, it's, it's fairly acceptable to look at your watch and be like, I'm comfortable holding a one minute interval at seven minute pace. But over time, it's ideal that you just develop the feel side of it. So you can really hone into the workout and not to worry too much about looking at the watch. Um, you know, I think that for, at least for me, it's taken me like three years to get comfortable running all of my intervals without ever looking at my watch. Yeah. Um, but, you know, long-term goals, you know, continuing to get yourself away from the metrics and then later you can go back on Strava 
or whatever your preferred platform is for viewing your workouts and just take a peek at, you know, how uh, composed was I, how controlled was I, were my outputs even throughout from, you know, point of acceleration to, to the end of the interval. Um, yeah, I hope that that was a good explanation of some of those metrics. Now the training logs, you know, that we use, and this is a lot different from, I haven't heard of any other coaches doing this. Um, but we're also tracking additional variables that are really important to us. Um, and you're going to see those in the four point check-in. Um, why is this stuff important? Because there's a whole heck of a lot more that contributes to how you feel on a given workout in a given day of running than, you know, just as what can be indicated through your average pace or your uh, moving time or vertical gain. And so we use the four point check-in uh, to, to kind of like get an indication from you guys on a numerical scale that doesn't involve any written feedback whatsoever other than numbers about how you're feeling. Um, yeah, we're tracking sleep, the very important variable. We're tracking your mental and emotional state. We're tracking your physical state and your fatigue state. Um, yeah, and I think, you know, this conversation maybe warrants just touching on all of that a little bit. Uh, that way, you know, people have a good idea about why this stuff is important. I think first, what Do I want to talk about the difference between feeling sleepy and like lack of sleep and yeah. fatigue. Yeah, that's a great, yeah, Because sure. I think one of the most amazing things about being an athlete is like, I never knew there were so many different ways to be tired. Right. It's just like a whole new rainbow of ways to be exhausted. <laughs> Ideally, we avoid that like most of the time, like that is not the goal to be exhausted, but um, every so often one encounters yeah. a new color emerges in their sleepy rainbow. Uh, so the difference between sleep and fatigue? Yeah, like okay. being sleepy, got like got four hours of sleep or like I feel fatigued. Like, yeah. How does that feel? And like, why does that difference matter? Uh, it does matter. Okay. So with sleep, we want to track the quality of your sleep, right? Because it obviously, if you sleep better, you're going to have better training outcomes. You're also going to have better recovery. You're going to have a better work-life balance. A whole score of things are connected with sleep. And if you don't know about this stuff, um, please listen to our call on the science of sleep. So important. Um, but we want to track that quality, right? Because that contributes to how you feel out there. Um, again, when we're using like the check-in process, one is no sleep whatsoever, or you slept terribly. You did not wake up feeling good at all. Three would be average sleep, normal sleep. Maybe that's seven hours for you. Could be eight, could be nine if you're me, ideally. Um, but like- It's an awesome average. It, if you're gonna put a four or a five on there- That's like 10 yeah. hours, dreams about puppies. Right, and you wake up feeling amazing, um, like firing, ready to go. One, completely tapped out, three, balanced average in the middle, five, complete abundance, feeling fantastic. Um, now, the difference between that and fatigue state is that what we find is you can have terrible sleep and still be relatively energized. You can also have great sleep and still feel fatigued. You can still feel tired on your workout. Um, so... The two are correlated, but not always. Um, and that is because other variables affect your fatigue, uh, your fatigue state. Um, 
for instance, nutrition, stress related to either training or life, what else would affect fatigue? Uh, stress, eating. Um, yeah, I think those are the kind stress, of the two. Stress eating, stress eating. Stress eating. <laughs> yeah, those are the two big ones. Um, yeah, whether you're, you know, whether you're fueling properly throughout the day um, and whether or not you are um, feeling just generally stressed. Yeah, or like you're feeling yesterday's run. Like you did a mm -hmm. hard workout yesterday and your body's like, yeah, I can tell I did a hard workout. Right. Yeah. Fatigue state can also be attributed to, you know, like overall training load or just stress load in general. Life stuff. Yeah. Um, and it's really important to differentiate between those two things, right? Like sleep is how your sleep was. Fatigue is, is actually how you feel. Um, now, another important thing here, and to differentiate, we have to differentiate between fatigue state and physical state. Now, fatigue is tiredness. Physical is like your, your body, your strength, your, your muscles. Like sore. Soreness. Tight, uh, tight, very loose, feeling strong, feeling strong, powerful, um, those kind of things. Like, gosh, like the other day I ran a great run and then I had terrible sleep, but I woke up energized. So I put like a two for sleep, but I had a three for fatigue. Cause I was like normal fatigue, but I ran a steep run and I was so sore. I had to put a two for physical state. Maybe a, maybe I put a one, I can't remember, but I was having trouble walking down the stairs because I was so <laughs> sore from running downhill. Um, so the, they operate independently. Um, and then we have the emotional, a mental and emotional state. So we all, we've talked a, a lot about this. Um, you know, for, for me as a coach, I look at that and it, it really indicates, you know, the overall well-being of an athlete, how they're feeling mentally and emotionally. Um, Ideally, we're looking for balance there, but life can be really hard and a number of different things can affect mental and emotional state. Your physical state can affect it. Your fatigue state can affect it. Your sleep state can affect it. Um, any other overarching stresses that you have, work-life balance can affect that. And that one thing, that one category, although it seems kind of overarching, can really affect your training. Um, it can lead to burnout, too many runs forced when you're in a, a poor mental and emotional state can lead to really uh, adverse training outcomes. Um, so we really want to be careful with that. We really want to look at that. We're tracking that all the time with you guys. If you're one of those athletes who doesn't use your four point check in. I hope you listen to this. I would hypothesize that those people are also not the people that are like on calls. Not normally, but you never know so who's listening. The Venn diagram is like, it's little. <laughs> I'm looking at my athletes and you guys are amazing. This Thank is you the for outstanding the four crowd. Point very engaged, very present. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Drew, I just, I don't know if you wanted to comment on, on these variables. If you're familiar with tracking those in, in your previous coaching experience, yeah, I mean, it kind of, I don't, I don't want to bring back all the stuff we just talked about with metrics and data and all that, but but really the four-point check-in is kind of new to me as a coach. I've coached for a while uh, previous to uh, coming on with Microcosm, and I don't know why, but that has never really been, uh, I guess, a, a big point of emphasis with previous athletes, previous coaching gigs. Uh, since coming on to microcosm, I mean, really that four point check-in is so 
genius. It's so brilliant. Like, like if you're not spending the time to really go through and, and maybe not just like fill that out with like one through five or whatever, but also to explain a little bit more about, man, why was, why was today a two or a one when normally it's like a three or a four? Like, let's talk about that and figure out what's going on. Um, we can look back and look at your training and see, well, we did just have hills yesterday. So it makes sense for you to feel like a physical state to be like a two totally get that. But if you have like a normal routine, like runs are going on all week, everything's normal. And then you put a one and there's no explanation in the, in the, I guess the back and forth deal on the log, like we, you, you just got to talk about it. And so it's part of, it goes into like communication, generally speaking with coaches, like tell us, I guess the more you tell us, the more information we have, the better we're able to serve you. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that's so, you know, another point is to like, everyone's going to have a day where you're just rocking some straight ones. Like that's just being a person. Um, and you don't ever want to get fixated on the bad days or the really good days. You want to like try to figure out where that baseline is for you. Um, and then like figure out how to re get to baseline without like adding additional, like, oh, I'm stressed about being stressed and like, it's just this compounding thing or like, I didn't get good sleep and I'm gonna like fixate on that and be super worried about it. Like, obviously we want you to get good sleep. We want you to feel mentally and emotionally good, but um, try not to catastrophize if you do have like an off day because you know, you're allowed to have many, many off days in the course of a training life. Uh, we're here to look at patterns over time and see, you know, once again, like if like there are compounding factors that lead to having like a physical one or like a sleep one, we want to like be like, okay, here's like how we can fix this. But also sometimes stuff's just gonna happen. You're gonna get a bad night of sleep for like no reason. Um, and you don't wanna like extrapolate too much from the outliers. You wanna look for patterns and notice places where you can take reasonable, tangible action. Totally. And the great thing about the four point check-in is it really helps athletes who struggle to, um, just express how they feel in the training log. So it gives you some data points to use that are that help us see patterns in your training. So that way we can help steer you in the right direction. You know, a coach is basically a guide. The athlete is the driver of the process. The athlete chooses the goals. The athlete goes and executes the training and the prescriptions the coach provides, but the coach is there to take apart the information the athlete gives them and through that continue to build the plan in the and, and get the athlete from point A to point B. Um, you know, so that information is really, really, really important. So I guess that kind of in, in Drew, thanks for the segue. You kind of led us into the most important part of, uh, of the metrics, of the data, of what we're tracking and it's, it's the written word. Um, it's utilizing your training log um, in a way that works for you, um, that is, you know, expressive, but also concise, that is um, indicative of the, you know, the things that you have going on that might be affecting your training and um, allows your coach to get kind of that window seat into your into your overall life, uh, work life, whatever it is that may be affecting your, your running. 
Um, Zoe, what are some things that you're like looking for, for af- from athletes yeah. in the training? Something logs, that I've recently work? started trying to be a lot more explicit about is with my female athletes, making sure that we're tracking our, if it's something that relevant to you, your menstrual cycles, because that absolutely can impact training. And for some athletes, it does more than others. And occasionally I'll have female athletes say, oh, I'm sorry if this is too much or if it's TMI. And, uh, there is no such thing. Like if there is a physical thing going on with you, there is no TMI between you and your coach. Like it is important for also a, like it's a normal thing that your, your human body does. And that is accepted and wonderful within this team. Um, and we should also like, we need to know the things that are relevant to your training as well. So making sure that, um, yeah, for my, my female athletes, like if they're at a certain point in their cycle, I like to know, um, because that will affect their training, um, and letting them know that they can write about that and we can talk about that. Um, in the context that it's relevant. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, some stuff to me, that's really important. Um, work life stress, uh, really important. How runs feel very important. Um, just, you know, expressions of how specific elements of the workout felt like I was running hills today. I felt strong and powerful, just, you know, stuff like that. Very important. Or I, I, I felt fast on my strides. Or I felt heavy, you know, giving some, uh, just some, some extra stuff behind the data that to me, I can use to, to kind of then to cue in and, and make judgments on how you're progressing in your training. Um, so how runs feel very important, um, recovery, you know, mentioning like, oh, I felt really good. Like even after yesterday's tough workout, like that to me is really important. Uh, a bit strong indicator of adaptation is being able to uh, kind of handle this, the concentrated stress of a workout and bounce back the next day to run a quality effort after. Yeah, because like the goal of training is not just, I mean, the goal is to train better, but we're not just trying to run harder all the time. We're trying to recover better between workouts as well, because that is not only a sign that adaptation is occurring, it's a sign that that adaptation is being more impactful and effective. Right. And I, and I like when athletes express maybe, or, and sometimes this comes from me prompting them, but when they've had a breakthrough with recovery or a breakthrough in their sleep or a breakthrough in their, their work-life balance. Like I felt so great after yeah. a long run. Right. And I often try to ask that athlete, okay, what did you, take some time to think about what you did differently in preparation for this run or what habits did you engage in before this, write those Mm. down, commit those to memory and try to, you know, engage in those same habits again, the next time to continue to set yourself up for success because your job as an athlete is to kind of be, is to continue to build your awareness around the things that you're doing, whether it's in work, life, relationships, running, it doesn't matter. You get better at the things that you do when you understand the habits that you form around them, when you get to understand the the preparation that each thing takes. Um, so, and then kind of sinking into those things that are working for you and lead and helping to prime you for those successes and discarding the things that are not working. Um, you know, I or find- like noticing, I feel under-recovered. Potentially I didn't eat enough. I didn't drink enough. I didn't stay off my feet or I didn't do like some active recovery, like whatever your routine is that fits in with the correct amount of volume you're doing. Um, it's important to note like, man, Sunday didn't feel good. Potentially I could have fueled better. 
Right. And I think and then and then feeling better, not yeah. just being like, oh, that didn't work out. No lesson learned. Yeah. Those those things are just it's it's absolutely vital. Um, when I don't hear from athletes in areas like work and life stress or about recovery or sleep or eating, um, I normally I just I assume, okay, you're doing great. You feel good, especially if in the four-point check-in, I see a balanced check-in. Um, yeah, so, it's know, always tough when you see like a week of like normal-ish check-ins, okay, runs, and then there'll be a blow-up and someone's like, well, you know, I skipped lunch every day this week. And you're like, that would have been really great to know because I would have yeah, changed your training. Totally. And so it's, in, it's important. Um, I think sometimes athletes actually, they don't recognize that the skipping lunch was a big deal. Ooh until the until that fifth day and then they go back and they reflect for a moment yeah, and then it they may not realize that happen right issue. away like maybe don't skip lunch eat lunch <laughs> definitely don't skip lunch yeah. a hypothetical athlete Please that skips skip lunch those. has an okay run does the same thing the next day does it for like four more days that fifth day they're like oh crap i'm fully in the hole here right well you know, even if you can get away with something once that does not make it okay yeah and uh Underfueling is not a thing you want to be getting away with. <laughs> and to to be fair, we're not asking for a play by play of how every. I don't need to know goes. that you ate pad thai. Yeah, because we need to get to the meat of what really matters, and uh, it's important that your check ins are uh, expressive but also concise and to the point. Um, that way, I can get to what matters and give you the best possible feedback. Um, but again, like little things they matter if something that you're doing routine wise is starting to work for you you use the log put it in the log um you have a space to reflect back to and say here's where i was having these successes here's where all my four point check-ins were lined up look at my average pace per mile it was like boom right here and then i was like feeling good feeling good feeling good and then you know you can see where things might go off track um, and then you can see where, when things go back on track, um, and through that, you can become more informed about your training. You can become more informed just about yourself in general, um, which will drastically improve the quality of your life. It will allow you to make better decisions and to recognize when you're going off track a lot sooner. So you spend less time off track and more time kind of engage in the things that you care about and that really matter to you. Yeah. Drew, I'll, I wanted to pass it over to you because I know that you're big on the training log and see if maybe we glossed over or, or missed anything that you thought was important. You know, what's funny is you and Zoe do such a really good thorough job of explaining everything. And then <laughs> I know I'm like, man, they just crushed it. They're going to call on me to add and <laughs> No, but like uh, kind of what you guys are saying, I don't want to uh, beat a horse here, but I mean, we got to uh, be real. Um, we, it's kind of like I did in the chat earlier as coaches, I, at least I'll speak for myself. I create plans as I go. I have never once in my life taken say like a marathon training program and then just like copied and pasted it onto someone's training log and said, there you go, then have fun. It's, it does not work like that. It never works like that. Um, and so it, it's not just using the data and the metrics, but again, reiterate, we have to use your feedback too, to help create a more uh, like beneficial, thorough, uh, training plan. Uh, you, you can't do it with just the data and you simply can't do it without 
that feedback. I mean, they're, they're both so vital to, I mean, long-term success and growth as, as an athlete. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you'll notice the feedback we give is very rarely data-based, right? Like the feedback we give to generalize is largely based on kind of the, the soft info and our feedback tends to be more oriented in that direction as well, because that tends to be the things that are more movable and that are more actionable and more relevant to the day-to-day training. And, yeah. and just real quick, before we move on, I want to also include that I would rather athletes kind of overindulge on the, on the communication portion of that, the feedback than, than to not give us enough, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. like, okay, tell me, tell me about your run. Like, what did you do? How did everything feel like? Just, oh, like write a novel. I don't care. I'm, I'm, I love re, uh, logs. I, I text Zoe and TJ every now and then about, man, I got some really awesome like stories today. Like I want to share them. Uh, Cause this was just so funny. Like just go overboard. Of course yeah. it takes more time and I understand we're all busy, but when you've got an extra couple minutes, just like go ham, go wild. Yeah. And like, I love it. Cause it, I mean, at the end of the day, it honestly feels like I just get to like check in with my best friends. And like, that's what I love about coaching is being like, Oh, I get to like chat with like all these amazing people on a day-to-day basis and like really dive in deep in ways that like, man, I wish I had like a training log with all my friends, like just to see how they're doing and like how things are going and like, how can I help and support? Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I would also say that the, the, and I was asked this question, uh, recently, so I'll give a, a, a bit of an answer here, but the athletes who are most successful in training, and in this program are the athletes that include more information in their training who are engaged and it's a big sign of engagement um you know i i appreciate a concise check-in because i wouldn't be able to have this this job i wouldn't be able to do this full time if i had to read 500 words from every single athlete i wouldn't be able to make a living (laughs) because it would be too much time but when it matters to you when something important happens, it is my expectation that you express that in whatever way you need to in the training log. Um, and don't, you know, leave things out because by providing more context, it not only strengthens the coach and athlete relationship, it builds trust between the two, uh, the two of us. It allows me to give you better training in the future. It provides me more context, the window seat into your life. That way I can help kind of continue to shape the program and the training in a way that is most relevant to you. Um, building that relationship is, is really vital. The athletes who are most successful, they really, um, I don't like to use the word indulgent, but I, I think that they they express themselves in, in a way that They're feels true to them. They're engaged with themselves in the process. They're not yeah. just, they don't, training for them isn't just ticking a box or you know uploading something to Strava. Training for them is an opportunity to meaningfully engage with the process in a way where they're trying to treat each day like a learning opportunity, even if the lesson is small and the lesson is don't obsess about pace or be kind to yourself or practice positive self-talk. But like, you know, there are some athletes that just like aren't as engaged and I'm preaching to the choir here because like those people are also not on this call. Like the people that show up to calls are amazing athletes and super engaged anyway. Um, But that's like, that just, those are the people that put in the work and yeah. those are the people that go far and reap the benefits and reap the benefits. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Like if I had to put money on an athlete that checked in once a week compared to an athlete that checked in five or six times a week, always going to be the, yeah. like no matter what level they come in at. Yeah. And I think it's important also, you know, we've mentioned it before, but I don't uh, ask my athletes to check in on rest days. I think a day yeah. out of the log is appropriate for a full mental and emotional. If something kind of happens that is truly relevant to your training, if you stub your toe, if you uh, don't sleep, like if there's, or like you find out you have a vacation in two weeks that you want us to know about, like that is a reasonable time to check in, but you don't need to just say that you rested because we assume that you rested and there's no meaningful information to be gleaned from that. Very true. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I feel like we've really covered this topic finally. Um, I know we've wanted to before, but just uh, in summary. Yeah. Numbers, kind of important. Don't obsess. Yeah. Um, in your training logs, please include average pace per mile, elapsed time, moving time, vertical gain, and mileage, even if you're training just by uh, uh, by volume and, and time on feet. Mm -hmm. um, with your four-point check-in, please don't forget to do it. Uh, one is completely tapped out. Three represents a balanced state and five is abundance. You're feeling fantastic. Um, Puppy and, dreams. And just don't forget to write the stuff that matters. Uh, the more information that you include, the better we are able to coach you. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, cool guys. Thanks. Uh, we're going to ideally have a coach's corner on Friday and hope that you guys can join us. We've got some questions already lined up. Yeah. So Yay. yeah, thanks. And if you've got questions, we're running out of things to talk about and uh, we don't like to talk for no reason. So please <laughs> send us questions. If you have things that you want us to cover or the other coaches, we would love to cover them. Otherwise um, it's just going to be an oral yeah. history of Ken Burns jazz <laughs> as relayed by TJ. And that's going to be really dry. It's going to be real dry. All right. Thanks, guys. Have a great night. Bye.